I hope you'll keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1 as we continue our study of that uh, great chapter. And we're going to be looking also in a few moments at Romans 3. Uh, if you want to be um, uh, marking that, we'll be looking at it in a few minutes. We've been talking about the gospel as Paul talks about it and describes it in the first chapter of Romans. And then as he sort of teases out those themes that are stated in chapter 1 throughout the rest of the letter. And so far, what we have seen in Romans 1 is that the gospel is about Jesus, of course. Also, that it is about power, because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. It's also about promises kept, because it was promised through the prophets long before Jesus ever came. It was promised first to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And we've also seen that that promise is for everybody, both Jew and and Gentile. And what we need to understand about those promises, picking up on that, is that they are not unconditional. The promises are not unconditional because the gospel is also about faith. You may have noticed that between verses 1 and 15 in Romans 1, Paul mentions the word faith three different times. He talks about faith. He talks about the faith of the Romans. He talks about his own faith. But then in verse 16, he says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He doesn't use the word faith, but he's using the verb. It's the power of God for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then in verse 17, he expands on that, on the idea of faith, when he says, For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now looking at verse 17, this expression uh, from faith for faith, there's been a lot of discussion about that, and I'm not going to go into all the various ways it has been interpreted. I do think that the NIV probably gets it about right when it translates this way, faith from first to last, faith from beginning to end. It all hinges on faith. And that's exactly what Paul makes clear in the rest of the letter. Everything depends on faith. The quotation he makes, as he says, it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, is found in the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4. And Habakkuk was contrasting the evil person, he says, whose heart is not upright in him, and that person will fail, he says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The evil person whose heart is not upright in him will fail. The righteous person will live by faith. So the dividing line between being righteous and unrighteous is faith. The dividing line between being right with God and not being right with God is faith. The dividing line between salvation and condemnation is faith. The dividing line between being saved and being lost is faith. It is by faith from first to last. So here's the question. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? Now before you answer that question in your own mind, be aware that the Bible uses this word faith in a variety of ways. And we use it in a lot of ways in our own speech. But thinking of how the Bible uses the word faith, 
Do you have faith? The most basic way that the Bible uses that term is to, to describe faith as belief. It's what we usually, I think, mean when we use the word faith. The belief that God, uh, what God says and does is true and right. It is accepting the truth as the truth. It is basically what Hebrews 11.1, 1, that classic definition of faith in Scripture. What Hebrews 11.1 1 says, that faith is the uh, conviction of uh, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's things that we believe. It's things that we are certain of. It's truths that we hold. When we talk about holding these truths to be self-evident, it means that we are convinced of their reality and of their truthfulness. It's what Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3 was talking about. When God made various promises to Abraham, he said, I'll be your God, you'll be my, my servant, and I'll bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and let me give you a great land. And then the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed what God said. He believed that God was going to give him all those descendants. He believed that God was going to give him that land that he promised. He believed that God was going to bless him. He believed that God was going to protect him from his enemies. Now, when we talk about the gospel and faith as belief, it simply means believing who Jesus is, that he is who he said that he is and who the Bible says that he is. It means believing in the power of his death and in the reality of his resurrection, that we, we don't doubt those things. We don't question those things. We know that those things are true. We are convinced of their reality. It's important to understand that faith, in this sense, is not just faith in faith. It's not just optimism. You know, that's the way we use it a lot of times. Somebody will be kind of struggling or down in the dumps, and somebody will come up and say, just have faith. And you kind of think, faith in what? You know, faith that things are going to get better. You know, the old saying, uh, somebody told me to cheer up. Things could always get worse. And I cheered up and they got worse. <laughs> it's not talking about that. It's not talking about optimism. It's talking about faith in a set of beliefs. It's talking about faith in realities of God and in the realities of Jesus Christ. It's talking about faith and accepting is real. What Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 3 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and then he began to appear to his disciples and to many other people. It is believing that those things are true. Faith as belief. But then there's also faith as trust. And that's different. That's a little different shade of things, isn't it? It's not just believing that it's true. It's trusting that it's true. It's committing something to what you say that you believe. It's acting on what we accept as faith, even when we cannot see the outcome. One of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, I think, is Genesis 22. When God, after making those promises to Abraham, particularly about his descendants and how many they would be, and how he had taken him out and he said, look at the stars of the heavens. If you can count the stars in the heavens, that's how many descendants you'll have. And then his son Isaac was born to him. And one day God said, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, 
take him up on Mount Moriah and offer him in sacrifice. Can you imagine what was going through Abraham's mind when God said that? How does that work? What does that look like? How do you have a multitude of descendants when you're about to kill the heir? How does that work? He didn't know, but he trusted God. He believed that God had promised him a multitude of descendants and that God would make good on that promise in some way. And so he went up on the mountain. and God stayed his hand. He didn't have him offer his son in sacrifice. But he said, because you've not withheld your son from me, I will surely bless you. He would, had committed himself to act on what he believed. That's faith as trust. He trusted somehow God would fulfill his promise. Then there is faith as obedience. Doing what God says because we believe what he says because we trust in him. You can see the close tie between that and uh, faith as believing and faith as trust and faith as obedience again in the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. How he was willing to obey God based upon what he believed. He was willing to do what he said, God had said that he would do. He was willing to follow through in obedience to God. That's true when we're in Christ too. In Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, did you notice Paul talks about we who have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And then at the end of the letter, chapter 16 and verse 26, in what we call the doxology, where he is offering a word of praise to God, uh, he talks about uh, how God has made known to all the nations according to the command of God to bring about the obedience of faith. So at the beginning of the letter, he's talking about the obedience of faith. At the end of the letter, he's talking about the obedience of faith. Now, the obedience of faith could mean a couple of things. It could mean faith as the obedience. That is the obedience, is to believe. And that's not wrong, but I think there's a, a deeper sense to it. I think the real sense to it is more likely that it is uh, faith, it, obedience that results from believing. Obedience that results from faith, as Abraham did with Isaac, because he believed what God said, he was willing to obey. Genesis doesn't tell us what was in Abraham's mind, but Hebrews eleven nineteen does. It says that Abraham was convinced that God was able even to raise the dead. And so he was willing to obey God, and he was willing to follow through on what God had told him to do. In Romans 2, verses 8 to 11, Paul kind of pulls that theme of the obedience of faith out a little bit further. He says, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, get that expression, obey the truth. You hear the truth, but then do you obey it? You obey it if you believe it. But he says, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good for the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. But it is that matter of obeying truth. It is that matter of obey the obedience of faith 
the obedience that comes from believing what God has said. Listen, don't ever let anybody tell you. Don't ever let anybody tell you that salvation is simply a matter of what you think. Or simply a matter of what you feel. There are far too many people in this world who if you ask them, do you believe, do you have faith, they will say yes. And all they mean is I have certain convictions in my mind. Or I have had certain feelings in my heart about God and about Jesus. And therefore I am right with God. That's not what scripture says. That is not biblical faith. That is not saving faith. Faith is more than simply a matter of reciting a prayer. That's not found anywhere in scripture. And then once you've said the prayer, you're off the hook. And you just go your own way and lead your own life, as many people believe. It is not that. It is a matter of the obedience of faith. Faith in the biblical sense always has all three of the senses we've talked about. Faith as belief, faith as trust, faith as obedience. When you hear the word faith or you read the word faith in Scripture, think about those three things. Belief, trust, and obedience. If you're not sure of that, read the rest of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 starts out giving the classic definition of faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then over and over again, he gives examples from the Old Testament. And he says, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, people did what they did. Why? Because they believed God. And they rendered the obedience of faith. The flip side of that is shown in James chapter 2 and verse 19. James is talking to people who are saying, well, you have faith. Or I have faith, and maybe you have works, but I have faith. I'm just a strong believer. You go out there and do the dirty work. I've got the faith. And James says, you, you believe, he says, that God is one? Good for you, paraphrasing there. But good for you, he says. Even the demons believe, and what do they do? They just tremble. They believe, but they just tremble. They don't convert. They don't believe. They don't follow. They, they don't change anything. They don't serve God. They just tremble. Let me tell you, a trembling demon is not saved. A trembling sinner is not saved. A trembling person today who says, I believe in God. I believe there's a judgment coming. I believe that Jesus is his son, but I'm just not willing to change my life and do anything about it is not saved. Not according to scripture. That is not biblical faith. James goes ahead and says in, uh, further down from the verses where he talked about the demons. So faith without works is dead. I asked you earlier, do you have faith? Be sure it's not a dead faith. Be sure it is a saving faith. The obedience of faith includes your initial obedience to the gospel of Christ. It's what Ananias urged upon Saul of Tarsus. If there was ever anybody who was a believer, who'd been made a believer, it was Saul of Tarsus. He had been an active persecutor of Christians. He had voted to have them put to death. He'd gone to many foreign cities by his own admission and, and arrested them and dragged them back to Jerusalem in chains. And then when they were about to be executed, he voted. He was all for it. And then finally, on the road to Damascus, God hit him right upside of the head. 
And Jesus appeared to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Let me tell you, folks, at that moment, he was a believer. He was a believer. He was deeply convicted. He was led by the hand into the city because he'd been stricken blind by that vision. And he was there three days praying, not knowing what all this was about. He was a believer. God sent to him a man by the name of Ananias to tell him what to do. And Ananias told him, he said, God has plans for you. You're going to become his servant. You're going to become his messenger to the Gentiles. Saul was still a believer. But then Ananias said, now why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? Complete your initial obedience and get on the path that God has set before you, he said. That is the obedience of faith. But it doesn't stop there. The obedience of faith includes more than our initial obedience. It includes our continual obedience in a Christ-like life following his word. Do you notice in Romans 1, 9 that Paul says he was thankful for the Romans because your faith is proclaimed in all the world? What does that mean? What do you think other people were saying about the Romans? What were they proclaiming about them? And Paul later says uh, in verse 12, he wanted to come to Rome so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What's he talking about? How are they going to be encouraged by each other's faith? They're going to be encouraged by the godly lives that both of them are living. They're going to be encouraged by the fact that they're all trying together to serve Christ in their own sphere of influence and in their own way. They are living out the obedience of faith. So the obedience of faith is that initial obedience, but it is also that continual obedience. So if someone asks you, do you believe in Jesus? Recognize that that's a rather complex question. I'm not saying it's a hard question, but it's, a, it's more than just a simple thing of, are you persuaded? It's a lot more complex than that. They're asking, first of all, or they should be, do you believe in who he is and what he has done? Do you believe in the power of his blood to wash away your sins? But it also means, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you rendered that obedience of faith? And are you now living an obedient life guided by God's word? Do you believe? Do you have faith? Now, why is faith so important? Well, it has a special place in Paul's argument in the letter to the Romans because he's dealing with the problem of people who are trying to save themselves by the law, particularly by practicing circumcision and things like that from the law of Moses. And his argument is, no, nobody is justified, made right with God. Nobody's justified by the law. You're justified by faith. So in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, he says this. I'm going to read these verses to you, and then we're going to unpack them because there's a lot in here. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, what is the but now? If you look between uh, Romans 1.17 and Romans 3.21... Paul establishes that all men, both Jews and Gentiles, are sinners 
and stand under the wrath of God because we are sinners. That is a basic fundamental truth of human existence. We are sinners and we stand under the wrath of God. But then he says in 321, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Let's unpack that a little bit. Look first of all, verses 21 and 22. He says, God's righteousness comes only through the gospel. We're going to talk about God's righteousness next week because that goes back to Romans 1.16 again. We're going to talk about that next week. But he says, God's righteousness comes to us only through the gospel, not through the law. We are not able to live up to the law's demands. The law of Moses laid out the expectations of God for his covenant people, and they never did live up to them. Not a single one of them ever lived up to them. Not even the best of them ever lived up to them. And neither would you, neither would I. Nobody has the ability to do that. And so that means there's no way that a system based on law, a system based on doing everything just right, is ever going to save us. That isn't going to happen. But he says God's righteousness now is manifested apart from law. In other words, it's not a law-based system. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's not based on law. It's based on faith. It's based on whether or not you believe his son. It's based on whether or not you believe him, trust him, and obey him. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you. That's me. That's the best person you've ever known. That's the worst person you've ever known. We're all in the same boat. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By ourselves, we are helpless. We're helpless. We're lost sinners. Then he says in verse 24, so we're justified by his grace as a gift. I hope you sang the words of that song a few minutes ago with that thought in your heart. You're justified by God's grace as a gift. It's not anything you've done to earn it. It's not anything you could ever do to earn it. It is God's gift. Paul says you're justified by God's grace as a gift. It's the only way it can work. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It has to be given as a gift. Redemption is another word for salvation. It means rescue. And that rescue, Paul says, is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. There's a word you didn't use this week. A propitiation simply means a sin offering. God put him forward as a sin offering by his blood to be received by faith, by belief, by trust, by obedience. 
Then verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just or righteous and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see why faith is so important? It is faith that connects us with that sin offering of Jesus' death. Without that, there's no connection. Without that, the, the chain is broken. Without that, we stay those helpless sinners. But by faith, we are able to become a part of God's people who've been justified by faith. But otherwise, we're lost in sin. But God gave Jesus as a sacrifice, and we receive that sacrifice through our faith. That's the difference between being saved and being lost. Then in Romans 4, Paul goes back to talk about Abraham. And he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God accounted him as righteous, not because he was perfect. Far from it. Read the story. He wasn't. He wasn't perfect, but he trusted God to keep his word. And he proved that he trusted God by doing what God told him to do. And then chapter 4 and verse 16 says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Did you know that Abraham is your spiritual father if you share his faith, if you trust the God he trusted, if you believe him, if you follow him, if you obey him, you have that same faith that Abraham had, then you are one of his children, Paul says, whether you're Jewish or not. You don't have to be his physical descendant. You can be his spiritual descendant by faith. And the difference is because by faith, you share in his faith. And you share in the results of the death of Jesus. Then in the next chapter, in Romans 5, Paul talks about the results of having that faith. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does that sound to you today? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the world of turmoil, in a world of violence, as Cam was talking about earlier, in a world of crime, in, in a world where people are vicious toward one another, in a world where we never know if we can trust people or not, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? By faith, because of faith. In verse 2, he says, Through him you also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verses 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't need that. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning 
Who doesn't need to know you're right with God? You don't need to know that you have peace with God. You don't need to know that you have access to His grace. You don't need to know that you've been admitted to that grace. That you're one of God's redeemed people and that you have eternal life as your hope, as the gift of God. And that you are able to rejoice even when you suffer. Because you know that that's just temporary. And that there is something so much better waiting for you. And to know that God's love has been poured into your heart. According to Romans 1, verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote this letter, preached the gospel, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you. Including you. Don't you love the fact he didn't leave anybody out? Including you. He proclaimed the obedience of faith for those who believe the gospel, who trust the God who gave it and the Christ who gave his life and who are willing to obey him. I want to encourage you today. I want to appeal to you today to have faith, have the fullness of faith that leads to God's grace peace with him and life everlasting if you don't have it all you have to do is say so and we'll show you from scripture how that can be yours let's stand together and sing it's so sweet to trust in